Welcome to Navigating the Cancer Maze Australia, brought to you by the Grace Gawler Institute on the Gold Coast. Today I have with me a very special guest indeed, Geoffrey Deslandes. Now some of you may have heard Geoffrey's story before if you've been listening to Voice America or indeed to Navigating the Cancer Maze Australia. We're very privileged to have Geoffrey here today to do another interview with us and what we're exploring is the aspect of survivorship. And if you haven't heard Geoffrey's story, we'll go through that again in a moment. So welcome to Navigating the Cancer Maze Australia, Geoffrey Deslandis. Good morning, Grace. It's really great to have you here. And uh, Geoffrey has been a speaker at our survivorship launch here on the Gold Coast last week. So, Geoffrey, if you could just go through your story for folks that haven't heard it before and um, tell us about how you became a survivor. Okay, well, briefly, it was 16 years ago almost that I was diagnosed with stage 4 non-Hodgkin's lymphoma which is considered to be an incurable cancer. It was stage four, so very advanced in the bone marrow. So it was quite a shock at the time. But um, I, after the initial shock of the diagnosis, I buckled down and tackled chemotherapy, and um, that was successful. But they said that the cancer can't be eradicated by the chemotherapy, that indefinitely, or as sure as the sun rises in the sky, <laughs> I think the doctor said, the cancer will return, we just can't say when. And about six months later, the cancer did return, and I had more treatment. This time I had Mabthera, or Rituximab, as it's called in the US. And that was successful in keeping away for another four years. But then, lo and behold, Father's Day 2014, sitting in bed, and a couple of lumps came up in my... noticed a couple of lumps in my groin, which was the cancer returned. So we had more Mabthera, but then it came back about nine months later. So we had more chemotherapy, and... About six months later, it was back again. So 2006 had come back for the fourth time. So things weren't looking very um, good. No. This is not good. I might die. I'm not not prepared to die. I'm too... I'm a male. I'm very stubborn. (laughs) Too many things to do. And uh, my life's not over yet. So I thought having more chemotherapy didn't seem to make a lot of sense to me. So rather than having a stem cell transplant and high-dose chemo that the doctor suggested as the next logical course of treatment, I decided to go for a new medical treatment. I'm not sure exactly what guided me to make that bold decision, but I ignored my doctor's advice and I said, no, I'm going to have a vaccine manufactured from my own cancer cells. So I came up to Brisbane, uh, they removed one of the lymph nodes from my groin and some special blood cells called dendritic cells. And from that, they manufactured my own body's antibody to the cancer. So I started that journey almost 10 years ago. And to this day, I remain disease-free. So it's an amazing turnaround. And now my doctor, normal doctor in Melbourne who I see once a year now, he's saying, well, probably the cancer's gone forever. It's can't say exactly, but you've got a durable remission of almost 10 years. And, you know, it's an amazing turnaround. So... From a cancer which is considered to be medically incurable, I'm now sitting 10 years out using amazing personalised medical technology. Fantastic story. Um, I think... Yeah, I think what's uh, quite amazing about your story is the decision time, the choice point, um, where you could have gone one way with treatments and pressure from family 
um, particularly in the natural therapies realm, or that decision time to go this other way. Could you talk about that particular aspect? Well, when I was first diagnosed, there was a member of the family who was into natural medicine, and he put my myself and my family under a lot of pressure to go for the natural methods. So instead of having chemotherapy, he suggested that very strongly that I should have he could fix the cancer through diet. So, talking about purely diet, that I should go does what does what he does, which is sort of I think an acid diet and well no alkaline diet. But anyway, he was put our family under a lot of pressure to go for his way rather than having chemotherapy, which he said was really bad and um, destroys your cells. And and I was quite strong that no, he had no evidence that that would work, and I chose the chemotherapy way. I now know if I had gone the natural therapy way, I wouldn't be here today. Absolutely, I can mm. say that. So that was quite a fear-driven um, information that was actually passed on to you, and you uh, you handled it very well. Mm. Very good, very well-meaning man, and um, but he had no proof that his diet, you know, he you know he had he said he saved people from cancer, but there was no hard evidence, and to this day. I don't think any habit evidence exists. <laughs> yep, yep. And that certainly pairs with our experience here at the Institute. Um, survivorship, Geoffrey, I'd like you to really, um, if you like, dissect survivorship. And perhaps we can start with the story of Paul de Gelder, which a lot of people have found really inspiring. He was the fellow who was in Sydney Harbour and lost an arm and leg to uh, a bull shark in the harbour. And... Interestingly, he was trained prior to this to be quite a, a pragmatic uh, thinker. He was in the um, in the navy, so he had certain strategies in place. So I wonder, in in talking about your story, how we can find those parallels for people because I think survivorship's a really important thing. He spoke about um, adaptation, so that you needed to adapt to the new situation and then you needed to persevere and that that was the key to survival so what are your thoughts and how do you see those things threading in through your ability to survive and thrive through and after cancer yeah i guess survivorship is part of our makeup if if we're threatened with an illness or a situation we have to respond or you um you'll perish. Maybe I could draw a parallel in the animal kingdom. If you look around Australia, people say, ah, there's so many dangerous creatures in Australia. And people are, you know, I've met some German tourists in Kuala Lumpur who were afraid to come to Australia. <laughs> oh no, there are so many dangerous things. People, you know, so many dangerous animals in Australia. And when you, I said, look at those animals. They're equipped with a survival mechanism. And they don't, let's take a redback spider, for example. The redback spider doesn't run around looking for people to bite. He, he hides and he does his own, you know, goes about living in a quiet spot. And if he's threatened by a human species and he fears he might die, mm. then he'll lash out and use his venom to, um, you know, survive. And that's the same in the animal kingdom. You know, stingrays with their, with their sure. tail. Crocodiles probably a little bit different and maybe sharks. But a lot of animals are equipped with a survival Mechanism which they'll use, like a bee with a bee sting, he'll use the bee sting as a last resort. Mm. I think we're a bit. Maybe when look at humans, then we're not equipped with this um, 
weapon we can use, but if someone threatens your life, whether it be a predator or, you know, a cancer, you have, if you want to survive, you have to respond in the best way you can. So I guess we use our intelligence. If you hit with cancer, okay, it's bad. It's, you know, disappointing, but what are you going to do? You know, cross your arms and say, well, you know, cancer's come, I'm going to turn around and, you know, sit down and die. Well, some people do, I guess, because they don't have that will to live and, um, you know, cancer hit me. Well, it's no, no, no point whinging about the fact that I've got cancer and that's, I've had it, that's gone, you know, get on with your life. And um, I think we use our intelligence to get the best treatment and, and out of the situation we're in. So I'm not sorry that I've had cancer. It doesn't cause me any problems. It's just something that happened. And um, if you get through it, it makes you a stronger person. You know, mm-hmm. What doesn't kill you makes you stronger. But I think we're equipped with this, um, maybe we're not aware of it, this will to survive, adapt, get out of the situation. So I guess I use my, all my intelligence to uh, get out of the cancer situation. Chemotherapy wasn't working. You keep hitting it with more chemo, it didn't make sense to me to mm-hmm. try something different, but certainly a medical technology which made a lot of sense. Using your immune system to fight the cancer seemed such perfect sense to me. So, And fear can be a great motivator. Um, was, there, was there a point when you felt fearful of for your life and, and did that uh, sort of turn out to be a, a positive fear that enabled you to be proactive and to really access that aspect of survivorship? Yes, I guess it's fear in a different way. It's not like you're mm. frightened, but there's a, um, a belief you may die, and that's not something that I want to do. So is fear the right word? Um, possibly fear, or just trying to, try to think of another word <laughs> instead of fear, but um, yeah. Fear's always seen as a really negative thing, and sometimes it actually can be a positive motivator yeah. with, without it taking over the show. <laughs> <laughs> and I think when it takes over the show and that flight or fight response, we were, you know, we can really be in trouble. But uh, you're someone who seems to have adapted, um, as we talked about Paul de Gelder there. You've adapted to that situation and then just given it your all. And that's where the second one comes in of perseverance. So um, tell us about your way of perseverance and what perseverance actually means to you in, in terms of your recovery. I suppose for me, perseverance means never giving up, and if one treatment doesn't work, then keep trying one until you find one that does work. So leave no stone unturned in your quest to get get better. So, yeah. I suppose people call me stubborn, but is perseverance <laughs> a better word to describe someone? <laughs> yeah. And so there's qualities in someone who has the ability to survive through cancer. And, of course, you've got to be careful to, that the other people who don't survive are not failures too because people do things to their best. But I'm always being convinced that you can learn these strategies and you can learn these skills if you actually don't have them innately. And perhaps that we've been so programmed towards cancer is a sentence um, and we believe that if we get a diagnosis of cancer that there's no hope, what you're offering is like a, a reframe of that experience and saying, well, yes, there is hope, you can persevere, you can try, and you can adapt. Yes, you can, and never, ever give up hope, ever, because there's always hope. So if we move into survivorship itself, um, you were at our launch the other evening and yes. you were <laughs> talked about our, our survivorship uh, as an organisation and our boat, which is called the survivorship, the You Can Try. 
Um, how do you uh, see the people who were at that event the other evening? How did you see them responding to you, and what was the feedback you had? Well, after I gave the talk, different people came up to me individually and told me their story. So they they didn't know me to start with, and I didn't know them. But afterwards, they all came up one by one and told you know I've had cancer, or I've had a relative who's died from cancer. So they all. I think most people have a story of someone they've t- been touched by cancer. It's such a common illness mm. and um, one that we'll get on top of one day. And we're making great inroads at the moment. But, um, yeah, I think people very opened up after the talk I gave and um, came up to me one by one and told me their personal story. It was actually a life-changing event and that's the feedback that I had from many people. Uh, and people that have told people who weren't at the event, it's actually managed to go along and help to change those people because it's about changing, as I said before, that concept of cancer, that the cancer is a sentence and you're not likely to make it if you're diagnosed. And it seems that people have uh, like the old memories of what cancer was, you know, 20, 30 years ago when they saw elderly aunts or uncles or parents actually die from cancer. Mm. So it's it actually has been reframed in terms of the types of treatments that are available and the knowledge of what you can do for yourself because I think there's a combination for you, I suspect strongly, there is this um, powerful combination of how you've chosen to navigate the cancer maze and the very intelligent treatment that you've actually had. Would you like to speak to that? Yes. Um, I think when you're possibly first diagnosed with cancer, it, it, it's overwhelming and you don't know where to turn to. And your medical knowledge may not be strong and you've sort of drawn along very quickly by what the doctors are saying. But I think there are a certain number of people, hopefully myself included, that step back a bit and instead of the cancer driving them, they, they take charge of their treatment, their whole overall treatment plan. That's a really important point. Who's yeah. driving the bus? <laughs> yeah. So instead of sitting in the back seat of the bus, letting it be, let the cancer driving you on the journey, you say, no, I'm in charge here, and you'll hop in the driver's seat, and you, you move that steering wheel, mm. and you say, um, you know, um, this is how I'm going to manage my overall plan. Because you're, if you're having chemotherapy... In Australia, it's an oncologist that gives you the chemotherapy. He's really only looking after the chemotherapy aspect of your treatment. And there's a much wider perspective of, of surviving than just his individual treatment. He's giving you that point of time. So um, Yes, it's the Jeffrey bit. Yeah. Who yeah. looks after the yeah. Jeffrey bit? Yeah. <laughs> you know, this whole range of your, you know, your personal life. Is your personal life in order? You're happy at home? Uh, you know, diet, exercise you know, depression, you know, the whole range of things which your oncologist is not not interested in because he's giving you chemotherapy. He's not asking, well, you know, uh, all these questions about your personal life. So, yeah, I think I'm one of those ones who fortunately took charge of my own uh, destiny and said, no, I mean, I'm in charge here. Chemotherapy hasn't worked. No, I'm not. I'm enduring your advice. I'm doing this, going this way. And if the vaccine hadn't worked, then I would have gone for another medical treatment and... Uh, Mind you, I was adamant that the the uh, vaccine would work, and it has worked. So, yeah, I mean, um, some people see having cancer as a they're being a cancer victim, and I've never seen myself as a victim. I was told many years ago that having cancer was a blessing. Mm, the gratitude aspect. Yeah, yeah. I thought back, 
A blessing? What do you mean? But after I thought about it, yes, um, it has been a blessing. And um, it teaches you so many things about what things are important in life. And uh, um, having cancer is, you know, I'm sorry to say, has been a blessing for me. And, uh, you know, um, I'm probably not at the point where I'm happy that I've had cancer, but it has taught me many things in life and made me a, what I believe, a stronger and better person from having had it. And that's very clear in your book, which is beautifully titled From Cancer Good Things Grow. Um, it's a very surprising title, and it comes into that aspect of, of gratitude as well as the intelligence. Could you talk about that title a little bit? Yeah, the title's a bit of a play on words. From Cancer Good Things Grow, From Cancer the Vaccine is Grown, because I take out the sample and then the laboratory they grow the vaccine. So it's covering that aspect, but it also it's referring to the fact that having had cancer, uh, good things grow out of that in, in terms of personal development. And uh, as I say, I think I'm a more um, kind, generous, understanding person now than I was before I had cancer. Uh, before I had cancer, I was tied up in the corporate world, and I thought that earning money and becoming more successful each year was was who I was in life and what life was all about. Now, for me, that has, has no value whatsoever. I see the, the fallacy of, you know, trying to get more and more money each year and becoming a bigger and bigger house. And, um, yeah, so I've, you know, had time to appreciate nature and just what I understand people a lot better. Yeah, so it has been a big turnaround for me. Now, if people want to get hold of your book, how do they do that? Well, it's available in 15,000 bookstores online. So if you just go to Mr. Google and Google Jeffrey Deslandis or From Cancer Good Things Grow, that'd be the better one. You'll have 15,000 options popped up there to purchase the book online. It's printed on demand, so there's always copies available. And e-book copies? E-books as well, yes, yes. Yep, so From Cancer Good Things Grow. You put that in inverted commas, if you like, pops up straight away. Wonderful. I think uh, from the aspect of immunology, which is becoming very popular and perhaps will go side by side with chemotherapy for some time, um, what Jeffrey has had is an immunotherapy, in fact. And it is very true that within us we have the capabilities to ward off and fight cancer. On a, on a daily basis, on probably a second-by-second second basis. There's a lot of activity going on in our body in the recognition of cancer cells. I'd like you to just explain a little more about the vaccine, if you would, um, and how that vaccine worked for you and how many times you had that vaccine and what was that process? I mean, perseverance coming from Melbourne to... That comes in again. Perseverance coming from uh, Melbourne to the Gold Coast and Brisbane to actually have your vaccine, go back again, come back to Brisbane. Um, it quite, uh, it's quite a remarkable thing that you would decide to do that. I can imagine many people would say, oh, it's too far, it's too long, I'm not going to do that. Yes. What was going on in the head of Jeffrey Deslandis <laughs> that, that actually <laughs> enabled you to do that? Well... For some reason, in my mind, you know, I'd heard of vaccine therapy for cancer and it just triggered my imagination. And I'm aware that your immune system, as we speak every day, it's facing, it's our protection of system for our body. So as we speak every day, there's 
rogue cells trying to get into our body and take over. So our immune system's function is to recognise those cells and to remove them. And the cancer cell is no different than any of those other cells. It's just whether it's a cancer cell or a microbe or a you know, bacteria, a virus, they're all foreign cells. And our immune system's function is like an army that is to defend our body. And it's all done through um, the shape of each. Each cell has a three-dimensional shape. And the, an antibody that you, that to counteract that rogue cell is the exact opposite of it. So it's all based on the theory that your immune system is perfectly capable of removing cancer cells because it does that every day of its life. It's part of its normal function. And what they did in my case was they made a personalised individual vaccine. So they took out a sample of cancer from a lymph node, which has the all the idiosyncrasies of the cancer in it. Mm-hmm. And then they took out some dendritic cells, their bloods, special um, killer blood cells, uh, killer immune system cells, which are in your blood. And using the dendritic cells and the lymph node, they made my own bodies, own antibodies to my particular cancer. So it's like an exact combination to your particular cancer. So that's, um, and it's quite simply administered. It's just injected into your um, dermis, just in your leg. The dermis just under the skin, and you just walk in. A few pricks, walk out. So it's a milliliter of vaccine. It contains five million antibodies to your cancer. So what they did when they made uh, twenty-five, oh, sorry, thirty-three doses of vaccine, and we had the first eight doses over three months. So after three months, we were, were still clear. So the doctor said, well. Has come up, uh, come up every two months, and uh, we'll have a vaccine. So I was located in Melbourne, so I'd come to Brisbane every two months, which is about two thousand kilometre journey, and um, we'd have the injection. So one by one, we used up the twenty-five doses of vaccine. So it was about six years later. We, we still had a third of the tumour left in the freezer, so they made another nineteen doses. So one by one, we've used those up. So. Um, I've made 52 trips to Brisbane for treatment. I think I calculated it was halfway to the moon for, uh, for treatment. <laughs> That's part of my persistence. Like, Not many I, people can say I've been halfway to the moon to achieve my recovery. No. And actually it's true. Yeah, yeah. People say 52 times, that's an awful lot of times. You know, a lot of people would have given up or not. Yeah, no, yeah. No, I was persistent right to the end. We've made the vaccine. We'll carry it through the end. And um, now we've run out of vaccine because there's no more cancer. So we're coming up 10 years disease-free. We have no cancer, so we can't make any more vaccine. But that's no concern to me because your body's immune system has an amazing little computer bank in there. It remembers every disease you have had in your life. And if it ever sees that disease again, it goes, oh, yeah, I remember. You, you know, Jeffrey had mumps in 1952. Let's pull out that mumps uh, formula. And it goes to the memory bank. And it makes so many million cells to white blood cells to that mumps antibody it's such our body is it's so exquisite isn't it <laughs> absolutely amazing so the cancer vaccine that i've had should be no different i've had been having it for 10 years as boosters it should now be perfectly capable of making that vaccine if it should ever need it and you have a life yes well i've never been fitter and healthier You look fantastic, that's for sure. Um, Thank you for explaining that, because I think 
a lot of people feel that their body has betrayed them and uh, that when they've got a diagnosis of cancer, that that's kind of it, you know. The body's let them down and there's nothing that they can do to help their immune system. And this is where people start to take a lot of alternative medicine in the belief that it's going to boost their immune system. Right. But it's far more complex than that. And I think immunotherapy is the way through to use a natural substance, it's your own body, uh, to use those natural substances in the body, natural cells, to actually do the boosting. And it seems very uh, very pragmatic and very practical to me to take that path down immunotherapy. Yeah, I think the beauty of it to me is there's no side effects. Yes. Your own cells have been giving back, been given back to you, so there's no destruction of any tissue cells. Um, the very worst it can do is nothing. It can either work perfectly or do nothing, but no, no mm. it doesn't, doesn't do any collateral damage, so... It's amazing technology. So there's a science as a natural therapy, which I love. Mm, yes. <laughs> it's terrific. Um, I want to go to the third section of your book now, um, Life Beyond Cancer. And I'm just going to go through these little headings that you've got here. And I just ask you to respond in what you um, believe about these particular headings. Cancer does not define you. Yes, I meet people and they say, you know, I'm a cancer victim. I go, what? You know? Well, I say to people, I've had cancer, and, and they say, oh, I'm so sorry. I yes, say, yes. What are you, what are you sorry about? <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's completely nothing. It's, you know, you've had a few rogue cells in your body, which, which um, your body is now removed. What, you know, um, yet you, you see people who say, oh, I'm a cancer patient, I'm a cancer victim, and they're really letting a few cells in their body, which might only be you know, half a percent of their body or not even that, to find who they are. So yeah, I think you've got to... It's important to rise above that and say, well, OK, there mm-hmm. might be a small number of cancer cells in my body, but that's not who I am. You know, I'm Jeffrey Deslandis, so, you know, whatever. You're Grace Claw, you know, you, you don't... Why let a small number of cells in your body tell you who you are? I think it's important, or not important, but for me, I choose not, not to let those cells define me. Yep. Rise above them. Yep. There was someone who wrote a book called Cancer as a Turning Point many, many years ago. His name's Larry Lashan, who I had the pleasure of doing some workshops with. And he always said to cancer patients, remember how much is right with you mm. and really how small amount of your body, how much is wrong with you is very tiny. Mm. Um, and it always stuck with me as some very good advice, which has been your experience. Yes. You've worked that out for yourself. Yes. And sometimes people have had cancer, all they want to talk about is the cancer, the treatment, how they, how terrible they felt and all the side effects. And that's that's their whole life. You know, mm. but every conversation you have with them is about... And, yeah, it's, I guess that's through their choice. But you can make a choice not to let it define you and be, and be who you are. It's a very important aspect, actually, uh, because people can really get stuck in their own story and not be able to move out of it, yes. especially when they recover. Yeah. Uh, because then they've had their treatments, they've done everything, and then there's this hole because there's nothing happening. And uh, people can really fall down that hole and because they've identified themselves as a cancer patient. Mm, mm. Stuck in the groove. Stuck in the groove. Um, hope. Do not ever give up. Yeah, I think at times when you're having cancer treatment, you do lose hope and you think that, you know, I think the chemo, if you're having chemo, it's very can be very gruelling and, you know, wear you down, but it's important never to get up give up hope because without once you've given up hope you've got nothing so you you know you need to hang on to that hope of 
if this doesn't work, then I'll try something else. If that doesn't work, then I'll try something else. But mm. I'm not, not giving up. So if, if cancer thinks you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna give up that quickly, well, you know, I think it's important to soldier on and be logical. And if what, one treatment doesn't work, find someone who can give you a different treatment, which offers hope. Mm. And, uh, yeah, I think hope's very important. Yep. Albert Schweitzer said, disease never stayed with me too long. I was too inhospitable a host. (laughs) (laughs) I think you've made yourself quite an inhospitable host. Um, The next one is, get your life in order. Yes. Well, this one actually came from a a specialist, cancer specialist I spoke with in West Australia, and he was an unusual doctor. And I say unusual because he actually believed, what, what he observed was that most cancer patients that came to him, he was treating blood cancers, there was something not quite right with their life. Now, he's an unusual doctor for saying that, but he, what he found was often people, uh, the cancer was like a, how can I say it? it, it appeared because, not because, but I'm getting myself in trouble here. It was like a warning sign, is that what you... It's an outcome of that their perhaps personal life being in Something's not right. Yeah. yeah. That could be, you know, a really bad job, financial problems, a really bad situation at home with your family situation. And so what he found was he started treating people not just for cancer, but he's saying, okay, we want to get you some counselling as well. Work out what's going on in your, in your life that is perhaps not quite uh, correct. And he found that was an important part of getting people healed, not only the the physical healing of the cancer, the mm. mental aspects, and people might have had a terrible home situation with their, you know, spouse, and that was causing, you know, a lot of grief or financial problems. So uh, that's what I'm referring to there. That um, in my case, for example, I had um, a very toxic home situation with my um, wife, or now ex-wife, but um, and then I work situation. I was working incredibly long hours and then I was working at home as well on other aspects so I was working far too hard to be successful and then my home life was was a very um, untenable situation so mm. it's a really delicate one isn't it because it's a, it's a fine line between you caused your cancer which I don't think works for anybody but there are certain things in your life that you know, maybe like the uh, sand getting in the oyster shell and just being irritant and irritant. Yes. Um, I guess inflammation of another <laughs> type. Maybe it's inflammation of the soul to, to lean into that aspect. But a lot of patients say that um, when you talk to them that this is their life story and that cancer has enabled them to make a positive change. And it's been the instigator of that. And that can be very scary for a lot of people to make change at a time when they're at their most vulnerable. Mm. Yes. I mean, I guess you have to stop back short of saying, well, you know, this situation caused cancer. But I think if you've got diagnosed with cancer, I think it's important, it was important to me, well, look at, look at your life and say, mm. Mm. is my life, am I doing in life what I really want to do? You know, sitting in office in the centre of Melbourne, playing on a computer, is that really what I what I wanted to do? No, I wanted to be outdoors using my hands. But where did I end up? In in the corporate world where the money was and then my home situation. Is this you know this really toxic situation at home, was that a, a good situation to be in? No. So I think for me that was a instigation to make changes. But you know, for other people 
they they get cancer, they have chemotherapy, and they go back to work and they leave everything as it is. And that's their choice. But I'm all I'm suggesting is perhaps have a look at your life if you get cancer and say, mm. well, is it how I want it to be, and should I make changes? And that's a personal decision on a one by one basis. But uh, for me, I I made some major changes. Yeah. Well, speaking from my experience there and working with more than 16,000 cancer patients over 40 years, I've heard a lot of stories. And uh, this is a very common denominator that comes through from the story. Some people uh, who struggle with change, I've kind of said, well, just change one thing. If there's one thing in your life, if there's one grain of sand that's got into that oyster and it's irritating, you may only need to change one thing or you may even need to change how you respond to that one thing which has been causing you a stress because that's often a choice too, um, building some strategies without actually making a really big change. But I think it's a very important thing and these survivorship uh, aspects we're talking about today are very significant because it's so multifaceted. Yes. It's so individual, it's so personalised, and yet we do have those common denominators. Um, where to from here for you? What's what's life got in store for the the new Jeffrey Deslandis? Mm, that's a very hard question. I don't exactly know at the moment. Is that can I be honest? Yeah, yeah, sure. I'm now retired, I'm perfectly healthy, I'm healthiest I've ever been in my whole life, fit and active, you know, I can I think the most I've done in the walking group is 28 kilometres in a day, so there's no <laughs> physical problems. Um, no. Um, I, I guess in the short term, if I can help other cancer patients, you know, in their journey, that that's um, something I can do. And I think people like to talk and hear about people who have survived cancer and have, are now perfectly healthy, and, and that's, I think, it's important to help them understand more. Well, you know, cancer doesn't have to be a death sentence. Mm. You can have the treatment and move on, and it's it's a non-event in your life after that. Not a non-event, but it's it. What, how can I describe it? It doesn't have any impact on my current life now. The cancer has yep. no. There's no carryover to where I am now. The only carryover would be emotional baggage if you choose that to bring it with you, which I. I didn't bring with me. Yeah. I left that behind. <laughs> <laughs> so your life story really is now, it's a teaching story, um, and that's a very valuable thing to bring to the, the yes. public, isn't it, and yeah. in a very positive way. And because your story is a true and well-documented story, because there's a lot of stories out there about people that have recovered that are not true. Yeah, mine's been documented from day one, I have, yes. I guess as a personal... Objective. I'd, I'd like more people to look at vaccine therapy for cancer and if I can encourage people to at least consider having some vaccine treatment if they can find someone to do it and then um, that would be encouraging to me because it has worked for me so do I sit on my hands and say no I, I'm not telling my story to anyone I, I think I owe, owe the world mm. the, that I've tried vaccine therapy and it absolutely is has worked for my cancer. A cancer which is considered to be incurable is now essentially cured, so um, I'm not going to sit on my hands and say, not tell my story. I think the story needs to be told, and um, so I would encourage uh, you know, people through the right guidance to look at vaccine therapy, because one day I know that vaccine therapy will be used for all cancers. Yes, indeed. Um, the name of your book again? 
from cancer, good things grow. Fantastic. Now, Jeffrey's about to uh, actually go out literally on our survivorship, yes. um, which is a trimaran that's a canoe sailing try, and it's called the Yukan Try. It's sailing around the broad water. So if you see those sails with the Yukan Try on it, you'll know it's the Grace Calder Institute with navigating the Cancer Maze Australia on the pontoons. So, Jeffrey, I would really like to thank you for coming up here again for being a guest on today's show but also for your presentation the other evening which I said was a life-changing event for many people and I think we'll be hearing about that and about you for some time. Oh, thank you Grace. Pleasure. Come again. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Bye for now.